Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today at Hope and Anchor Church. I love it that we get to worship together. Um, I know you have, you have a choice when it comes to local churches. And I thank you for choosing Hope and Anchor. I feel like a flight, flight uh, stewardess uh, when I do that. But anyway, uh, I'm glad that we get to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we get to call each other a church family. That we get to look forward to uh, bearing each other's burdens, uh, encouraging each other, uh, seeking uh, friendship, seeking uh, discipleship, mentorship from each other. I love hearing stories of uh, one person in our church uh, connecting with another person in the church and seeing God work through that relationship. So uh, I'm just thankful. I always come with a spirit of expectation and I pray that you do too when we come to worship. And then we get to go out into the week with expectation to see how God's going to show up in our week in those relationships through all of our interactions. So uh, I'm thankful. Uh, today we are continuing in our Law and Prophets series. This is week number 14. Week number 14. I've told you previously that this is a 17-part series, so I've got either good or bad news. It's not a 17-part series. It's actually 22. <laughs> yeah. So do with that what you will. Today's message is called Son of Super Bad. I want you to think about something. Has there ever been, in your, the span of your years, has there ever been an album that defined, that really defined a big part of your life. What comes to, yeah, I'll turn my mic on too. Has there ever been an album that really defined a big part of your life? What's coming to mind for you? Anyone? Hazard to, to share? Uh, Pantera, Great Southern Trend Kill. That's on my list. <laughs> Who else? What other out? Kelly. A liturgy, a legacy, and a ragamuffin band. Rich oh, Rich Mullins, good, good. Anyone else? So you want to go back to Egypt? Keith Green. Keith Green. <laughs> I knew you'd say Keith Green. That's awesome. Uh, the Sunset Tree by Mountain Goats. Oh, Mountain Goats. <laughs> yes, that's going to fit nicely into my list. I'm about to share with y'all. There are epic collections of music out there that speak to our soul. This is just how we're wired, isn't it? Like we hear, uh, we come across a collection of music. It speaks to our souls. It captures something of our essence and it expresses something of our angst. <laughs> uh, if you think back, I mean, maybe not some of these, but some of these albums that would come to mind for you go back to a younger day when you were just kind of all... Uh, uh, Ah, electricity. And these music, these albums kind of gave vent to that. Um, there's been a few of these albums for me, and I'm just going to un unfurl these and do with them likewise uh, what you will. Uh, Pearl Jam 10. Anyone? Yeah. Uh, maybe the perfect album. Okay. Um, U2 Joshua Tree, which some of you are like, actually. Uh, anyway. Um, Beastie Boys, Ill Communication. Can I get a witness? All right, all right, Curtis, I see that hand. Uh, Nirvana, Nevermind. Okay. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Yes. <laughs> I'm in the right room now. Uh, yeah, so these are just some of the albums that when I was sitting here writing this message, these are the ones that came to mind. You might surmise something. Why, is he from the 90s? Was he in his heyday, his prime in the 1990s? Well, yes, actually I was. I didn't peak then, but I was in my prime. 
As such, grunge rock is my heart language, uh, in a way. Uh, grunge rock is my spirit animal. I don't know if that connects with you. Uh, uh, while, while grunge rock was very formative to me in my college years, I wasn't limited just to grunge rock, and neither were you probably, but several different genres of music really spoke to me uh, during these years. As a young late teen, early 20s, I discovered other genres of music that uh, were formative to me. I developed a taste for uh, bluegrass music, uh, for traditional Irish music, believe it or not, um, and uh, 70s folk music. Man, there's some just really great mellow folk from the 70s that you're doing yourself a giant disservice to not know about. Uh, but what I want to talk about today is another genre of music that snuck into my blood during this phase of my life. It, it snuck into my bones and it added a funkadelic element to my bland Midwestern life. And I don't know, I mean, this may have happened to you too, but it had a profound impact upon me. How profound, you might ask? Well, it figured into my wedding ceremony. My wedding ceremony to my dear wife was punctuated with the, the funkadelic sounds of 70s funk music. Loved it. Still do. It's amazing. Christy and I, we worked together to pick out our wedding playlist, uh, but she bequeathed unto me the recessional. She said, you, my dear soon-to-be husband, you get to pick the song to which we will descend the altar and be married. This will announce, like the bells tolling in the church tower, this will announce that you are husband and wife. I got to pick that song. So to crown our matrimonial moment together, I chose the song that was dearest to my young heart at that time. It was a song by a band called Cool in the Gang. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a song called Jungle Boogie, and I wish we had time. <laughs> Actually, we do have time. Hit it, Atticus. So imagine it. Anyone know this song? Yeah, it's righteous. So good. I'm just going to let it play for a second. You feel it? All right, thanks. <laughs> awesome. So good. Triumphantly, blissfully, Christy and I, we descended the marriage altar to the sweet, sweet groove of Cool and the Gang. Gifting, as we went, like, like, like flower petals, like sparks. Gifting to our family and friends much joy and mirth and laughter. In fact, one of her relatives thought someone had played a joke on us. <laughs> Which I assured her, no, no, no. No joke here. We never spoke to her again. <laughs> During my years at Evangel College, it was a college back then, not a university, uh, I, uh, in my dorm room in Scott Hall, I, saw, I fell under the trance of 1970s disco funk music. Anyone else traveling with me on this? Did you ever fall under this spell? Sal, love you, man. <laughs> I became imaginary friends with George Clinton, with Parliament, with Bootsy Collins, with the Ohio Players, with Cool and the Gang, with Wild Cherry, with Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh, these were my friends. In my mind, around the big table of fellowship were, were all these people. 
And it was so, so good. And like a ray of light from the heavens, like, like an olive branch carried in the beak of a dove, I came into possession of a mixtape CD. A mixtape CD produced by KTEL Records in 1990, and it was called Son of Superbad. Imagine it, an album called Son of Superbad. That name alone demanded its purchase. But I, can't, I don't remember where I got this. I probably paid, you know, 15 bucks because that's what we did back in the 90s with CDs. But anyway, Son of Superbad. And it is hard to overestimate how much that mixtape impacted me or how many times I played it over and over. How many times I played it. And I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to my roommate, Bob. I'm sorry, Bob, for how many times I played Son of Superbad in our small dorm room. But it was so... So very good. And truth be told, Bob liked it too. To me, hearing the songs on this mixtape CD, it was like warm butter being melted into my ear holes. Imagine how good that feels. That's what it was like. Every time it played. Why am I blessing you then? You might be asking, why is he blessing me with all these rich personal tales? Why am I singing the praises here in church? Why am I singing the praises of 70s funk here in a place like this during a time like this? Well, I'll tell you, it's because mixtapes matter. Mixtapes matter. They matter in college. They matter in our lives. And they also matter in our Christian faith. Now put a pin in that because I'm going to make, that's going to make sense here in a second. It's not going to make sense for a few minutes here, but hang in there. That's normal, right? <laughs> it makes sense in our college years, in our life, and also in our Christian faith. If you don't believe me, let me explain it this way. In the Bible, when we go to Scripture, we are given a vast panorama, a vast panorama of God's will, of God's character, and of God's mission. It's expressed to us in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But most explicitly and clearly, God's character, mission, and will is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus is the Son of God. He comes to us and is actually called in the Gospels, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That God has come and dwelt among us, with us. In the Gospels, in your Bible, you might read in the Gospels and see that certain words are in red. What do the red words mean? They're from Jesus, right. We read the red words in the gospel, and uh, we receive those as the actual things that Jesus said and the actual things Jesus taught. And those are divinely inspired and, and preserved for us, for our benefit and our blessing and our growth and our correction, our guidance. All these things have been saved. Now, of all the red words in the gospels, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, these are considered, the Sermon on the Mount is considered Jesus' core teachings. These are his most central themes. Okay, as we've said before, most readers, most historians and theologians, they don't consider the Sermon on the Mount to be the transcript of one single sermon, but rather a collection of Jesus' greatest hits. You see where I'm going here? And what do you call a collection of greatest hits? A mixtape! Boom! Bow your heads and close your eyes. <laughs> See what I did there? Brought it all around. Now it makes perfect sense, right? It's a mixtape. So, if we found a gospel son of super bad mixtape, it would no doubt feature a lot, all of Jesus' teachings. However, 
Jesus' Sermon on the Mount would be right at the center. It would be the centerpiece. It would be the jungle boogie of Son of Superbad gospel mixtape. I'm going to move on from this right now. As we come to the end of Matthew chapter 6, we've already become familiar with many of Jesus' greatest hits. Things we've talked about previously were familiar to us because we go regularly and often to the Sermon on the Mount because there we find Jesus' most iconic and for most of us very meaningful, meaningful teachings. We gather around Jesus and we find solace in His words, we find comfort in His compassion, and we find challenge in His wisdom and His declarations, don't we? Yeah, sometimes we come in close and we just like, oh Jesus, I just want to be close to you because we hear words of comfort, words of peace. But then also, Jesus boldly says things sometimes that we're like, what? What'd you say? Oh no, I don't know what to do with that. That's hard, doesn't He? He draws us in, He comforts us, but He also challenges us with His words. God makes so many things clear in Jesus through His patient and His persistent teaching. And I'm thankful for it. But here in Matthew chapter 6, which is what we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, we find some of the most comforting, some of the most necessary, but also some of the most difficult wisdom, I think, in all of the Gospels. It's when Jesus looks at the people around him and he says, Don't worry. Don't worry. And if you're like me, that's hard sometimes. And I'm going to talk a little more about that. But we want to hear Jesus say, Don't worry. But at the same time, we're just like, ah, How? How do we not worry? Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your Heavenly Father feeds them. And are you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. See what I'm talking about? All through this passage, Jesus is reminding us, don't worry. Don't worry. Let me tell you why. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. And take it all together. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple, right? But it can be so hard to do. Sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things. You may not know this about me, but I am a professional worrier. Yeah, I mean, I'm a professional worrier. I am someone who is beset with anxiety. There are times, there was like a couple weeks ago, Chris and I were sitting watching our British crime drama, and uh, I'm like, my tell is that I, I pick up my cuticles. She's like, what's the matter? I was like, man, I'm having anxiety. And she's like, why? I was like, I don't remember. 
I like I, don't, I was thinking about something that ramped up my anxiety, and then I forgot what I was thinking about, but I still had the anxiety, and so I'm like, eh, like all spooled up inside. And she's like, what, what are you thinking about? I was like, I, I don't remember what I was thinking about. I'm just an anxious wreck right now, and I don't know why. This is what I do. I am a craftsman. I am a craftsman of worst-case scenarios. I am an architect of imaginary catastrophic outcomes. What a weirdo, right? Honestly, I hear Jesus' words here, his don't worry, and many times I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated by them. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I, I'm a pastor. I slave over a hot Bible all week long. <laughs> Yet I struggle. I struggle to believe what Jesus is saying to me sometimes. I mean, can I be that honest? But sometimes I hear the succinct words of Jesus here, don't worry, and it's like, I am getting an F. And I can't let my people know that. Some weeks I'm getting an F on this. I don't know what to do. I don't believe, I don't feel like I believe sometimes what Jesus is saying to me. And I don't know if it's okay to say that, but I hope it is. It's hard for me on some days to take at face value what Jesus says to me. What Jesus teaches me in his Sermon on the Mount, in the pages of Scripture. Am I alone in this? No. No. <laughs> I don't think so. Otherwise, I mean, I don't like to waste my time. I, I really know you, and I, and I know that some of you struggle with this as well. It's, why is it so hard for us to really, truly let go of worry and to surrender to Jesus, to uncling from, from our catastrophizing? Why is it so difficult for us to trust, actually trust, in God's care and His peace and His provision? You see, what's happening here in the Sermon on the Mount is we see Jesus speaking to His weary and worried flock. Jesus is looking around that hillside, speaking to His weary and worried flock, speaking to people just like you and just like me. We're not that much different than those people on the hillside with Jesus in the first century. He says to us, don't worry about everyday life with all of its stress and uncertainty. In fact, don't worry about tomorrow because today is enough. What I'm going to give you, how I'm going to support you and help you and care for you, it's enough for today. And then tomorrow, let's do the same thing. But don't worry about tomorrow until we get there. Today is enough. God cares for you. How much? I love it that Jesus takes time. He like hits full stop here and is like, hey, let me explain something to you. God cares for you. How much? He cares for the birds of the air. He cares about the flowers of the field. And guess what? You matter so much more than the birds, so much more than the flowers. God cares for you too. So in this honest moment... How does it make you feel to hear that God cares about you? How does it make you feel? I find myself so many times standing in the grace of God's goodness, hearing that He cares for me, and I say, Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How does it sound when Jesus says to you, Don't worry? And today, how hard is it for you to believe that? 
Now, it's important to keep in mind some contextual things here. It's important to keep in mind who Jesus himself was. Okay? What Jesus had already endured in his life up to this point, and what he would go on to suffer. Okay? Jesus said these things knowing what he had been through and in his divinity knowing what he was headed toward, and yet he said, don't worry. Jesus lived a precarious, itinerant life. Meaning he didn't have a fixed home, he didn't have a, a settled place to go, he was on the move. Living in, under the weight of, certain, of uncertainty. This itinerant traveling lifestyle. And he knew what lay ahead. Jesus was familiar with hardship. He was familiar with uncertainty and he was acquainted with suffering and extremity. Yet, he's the one standing there, familiar with what it's like for us, having lived the human life. He's the one who stands before us and says, don't worry. He's encouraging us not to worry. That's the one doing this. Jesus lived before the days of psychotherapy. He lived before the days of Prozac. He even lived before the days of aromatherapy. Guys, there were none of these buffers. There were very few buffers between life's challenges and mental health. Jesus understood these things, that there, were, there was a lot less of the, that cushion, the, the options we have between what you experienced in life and how it affected you mentally and emotionally. Yet Jesus still tells us that it is possible, it is possible to be free from fear, from worry, and from anxiety. And I'm thankful that Jesus says that. I'm also thankful that N.T. Wright says this. Jesus had a strong, lively sense of the goodness of his Father, the creator of the world. We don't have time to stay there, but I think N.T. Wright's pointing at something very critical there. Jesus had a strong, lively sense of the goodness of his Father, the creator of the world. His whole spirituality is many a mile from those teachers who insisted that the present world was a place of shadows, gloom, and vanity, and that true philosophy consisted in escaping it and concentrating on the things of the mind. His teaching grew out of his own experience. When he told his followers not to worry about tomorrow, we must assume that he led them by example. He wasn't always looking ahead anxiously, making the present moment count only because of what it might come to next. No, he seems, Jesus seems to have had the skill of living totally in the present, giving attention totally to that present task, celebrating the goodness of God here and now. If that's not a recipe for happiness, I don't know what is. And he wanted, his, he wanted his followers to be the same. When he urged them to, take, to make God their priority, it's important to realize which God he's talking about. He's not talking about a God who is distant from the world, who doesn't care about beauty and life and food and clothes. He's talking about the Creator himself, who has filled the world with wonderful and mysterious things, full of beauty and energy and excitement, and who wants his human creatures, above all, to trust him and love him and receive their own beauty, energy, and excitement from him. This is the God that Jesus is pointing us toward, saying, hey, the Father cares for you, and this is the Father. The, the months following uh, Christie's cancer diagnosis, um, I can tell you, they were severe and they were terrifying. They were terrible. Severe and terrifying. During those months, 
My anxiety was out of control. It was out of control. My sense of emotional well-being was trashed, and I was living in a constant state of fear and overwhelm. And I, I, I may have appeared to be holding it together, but man, I was a mess. I was a mess. I was immobilized by the uncertainty. I was dominated by all the fear and the overwhelm. All the unknowns. Yet through it all, there was a scripture passage from Paul, from the Apostle Paul, that came to mind over and over again. It became a meditation of sorts, a place I would go when I started feeling my ship listing to port, like, uh-oh, we're going over. I would go to this passage from Paul, and it would be a meditation that I would recite in my heart. It resonated in my heart. Many days, this passage, it called me back from the verge of, of actual panic. Have you ever been so stressed that you feel like it's going to break? You're like reaching the edge of a precipice where you don't know if you can come back if you go any further. It's just like panic. It called me back from the verge of panic to a place of, of peace in that moment. A place of rest in that moment. Tolling like a bell, reminding me, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't worry. And then one day... The first day that we, in, the, we went to the Mercy uh, Infusion Center for Christie's first chemotherapy treatment, we walk in, and in the waiting room on the big glass window, this verse is printed there, right on the window, not facing out, but facing in, right there on the main room, waiting room window, reminding me. It was as if Jesus himself was standing there reminding me of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I was con confounded. Even there in the belly of the beast, when Christy would have to sit and be submitted for the first time to these highly toxic drugs put into her veins, changing her life and her body forever, and yet, in the most unexpected place, in the unexpected way, I see, don't worry. Don't worry. And the peace of God will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So we know this about our world. Our world is rife with reasons to worry. You don't have to look very far. It's there. And worry can overrun us. Have you ever been overrun by worry? It's like, man, pace yourself, worry. This is a lot. Slow down. Life is punctuated with reasons to fear, and fear can devour us. But today, we have opportunity to hear Jesus clearly and gently remind us of God's attentive care for us, of, God, of Jesus. We get to hear Jesus reassure us of God's steadfast concern. Can you believe it today? When we set our hearts on trusting God and on resting in His provision, when we choose to do so over and against our feelings otherwise, over and against our very convincing emotions, we find ourselves better able to sit at Jesus' feet 
and hear him speak to us in a surprising and fresh way. Don't worry. Don't worry. We find ourselves joining with Jesus and in doing so, hearing invitation to, to come. Come and share in his peace and in his happiness. N.T. Wright goes on to point out, Living totally without worry sounds to many people as impossible as living totally without breathing. <laughs> Truth, right? Some people are so hooked on worry that if they haven't gotten anything to worry about, they start to worry that they might have forgotten something. That's, that sounds like me, us. Yeah. Here at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation that surprisingly few people even try to take up. But why not? Why not learn how to share the happiness of Jesus himself? How does it make you feel that Jesus, when he says don't worry, he's actually inviting us to share something that he knows? He wants to share that with you. Now, let me be clear as I finish up. I'm not here today to dismiss or minimize your struggle with anxiety. Hopefully nothing I say will, will wave a calloused hand over your fears, like wave away your fears as if they aren't real or if they don't, as if they don't matter, because they do. Jesus himself acknowledged as much. Do you see that here? Jesus is acknowledging the existence of your fears and your anxiety. Jesus is acknowledging the power of your fears and your anxiety. Jesus acknowledges them. And so do I. So do I. But what I do want to do is encourage you to daily, over and over again, daily, one day at a time, pressing close to Jesus, decide in that moment to trust in Him and don't give up. To whatever degree possible, do not give in to your worry. Because know this, even when you can't feel it, even when you feel forgotten, you are not alone. Do not miss what Jesus reveals here. God has not forgotten you. His eye is on you, and He's caring for you, even if you can't understand it. Even if you don't tangibly feel it, He's not forgotten you. His eye is on you. So may we rest in this. May we rest in this. Even in the scariest of moments... May we hold on to the promise that the peace of God, far beyond what we can understand, is actually today guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. May you know more and more the peace, the reassurance, the care, and the happiness of Jesus himself today. And then we'll find ourselves free to do then what Jesus says, to seek the kingdom of God above all else, to live righteously, and then see everything we need added to us when we start from that place. And that is what I pray for you. Now, today I'd like to finish up with a closing meditation of sorts, and I'm not sure how well it works in this kind of environment or this setting, but I want to play for you a song. It's going to play through the sound system, but it's a song that sings this Philippians 4 passage. And it was a song that I played many times during those dark months of chemotherapy and of so much fear. And it just sings this passage over and over again. And there were times where I sat there white-knuckled, just holding on, listening, believing, clinging to these words. And so it's a, like three minutes. It's like a little under three minutes. But 
I think we can do this. Enter into a time of meditation, of sitting with the Lord, of making these words your own. Hearing what Jesus would say to us as we listen to this song by Scripture Lullabies is the band. It's a pretty, <laughs> pretty hardcore name. Uh, <laughs> scripture Lullabies. But the song is called Peace of God. The Peace of God. And, uh, so let's take three minutes. Just close your eyes, listen to the words, and make them your own. Sit in that moment and press in close to Jesus.
Father, we come to you confessing in honesty and humility that we need you. We need to be reminded, but we also need your strength. Lord, I try to contemplate what it's like to have been on the mountainside with you, hearing those words, placing myself among those men and women, those children that were hearing you say these words, don't worry, don't worry. Not knowing exactly what they were going through, what they were experiencing, what they were stressed about. But I know that that's not much different than the human story we're familiar with. And it's to us that you would likewise say, don't worry, don't worry, stay close, believe. So God, I pray that today you would give us the strength to do that. That you would help us trust in you and that we would feel the guarding of our minds and our hearts. Lord, it's exhausting. It's like we can feel our, our lives just draining away from us when we're so overwhelmed with fear and worry and anxiety. And that the enemy comes and just pours gas on that fire so many times so easily and it makes it difficult to believe the simple truth that we can trust. And when you say, don't worry, we can actually surrender our worry to you and be strengthened. So God, I pray for my friends here, my brothers and sisters the ways that there's been times when they felt like they're doing it wrong or that they're failing and being obedient to your commands to not worry because we're ate up with worry. Lord, I pray that we would understand that you're gracious toward us, that the reason Jesus came and acknowledge it, acknowledge the struggle, acknowledge the difficulty, it's because he cares and he's compassionate. He wants us to be free, to be healed, to be whole. So God, may we find time today to come close, to hear you say, don't worry, and that your Holy Spirit would help us believe that and live in that reality today. May our fear and anxiety not push us far from you, but actually draw us close to you. God, give us strength, I ask. I pray for my friends here that maybe have never followed Jesus that feel like they have no business. <laughs> being on that hillside with Jesus. They have no business being here today. They, they don't do it right, so they have no business with you. God, I pray that they would see themselves in the light of your grace and of your goodness and of your care and love for us. You call us all to yourself, and when we come close, you say, don't worry. You can save us. You can redeem us. You can heal us, and God, that's what we need. And so, God, I pray that all of us would hear the invitation, that we would all respond. We lift our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to worship. Uh, we're going to sing another song. But I'm going to host a meeting of Warriors Anonymous there at the back. Um, if you're struggling with this, as I've struggled with this, and you'd want to just meet up with me back there, I'd like to just have a prayer, a time of prayer together. Maybe we can encourage each other. Go to Jesus together and find his strength and hear him say in our midst, Don't worry. I'd love to pray with you. The thing is, is this is an opportunity. Hear the invitation and make the most of this opportunity. Let's stand together.